They remind me of the liberal Protestant who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ and has substituted the social gospel for it, that God's plan through Christ is just to make earth a better place. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, and we saw last time that the 70 weeks referred to in verse 24 is actually 70 weeks of years, or 490 years. And Dr. Brogy laid out a number of reasons that the Hebrew word week used in our passage refers to seven years as opposed to seven days. As we return to our study today, Dr. Brogy looks at the people that are involved in this time period. It's very important that we understand not only the time God's talking about, the persons also that he's referring to. And there are three distinct personages that are mentioned in this passage of Scripture. First point A, there in your outline, the Jewish people are involved. The Jewish people. Notice how verse 24 begins. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people. Well, what does Gabriel mean when he speaks of your people? Well, if Daniel is a Hebrew and he is, and your people must refer to the Hebrew or the Jewish people. So this is not a prophecy about the Gentiles. This is a prophecy about the Jews. This prophecy involves Gentiles, but only as they relate to Jews. So if you want to understand prophecy, critical to understanding most of the prophecy in Scripture that is in reference to the Messiah concerns the nation of Israel. They are his yardstick. He began the program through Israel. He is going to end the program through Israel. And there are many people today who want to deny that, but the Word of God is so clear. So first, the Jewish people are involved. Second, there are two princes that are involved. First, the prince who is Messiah is involved. The first of these two princes, named here in the New American Standard, is Messiah the Prince. That's the way the King James and the Holman Christian Standard also render it. The NIV 84, I don't like the new NIV, I don't recommend it because it's tried to be gender neutral, but the old NIV renders it the anointed one. That's not necessarily bad because the word Messiah, Messiah means the anointed one. The ESV is a little looser here. They render it an anointed one. But he's not speaking of an anointed one. He's speaking of the anointed one, Messiah the Prince. This is a clear, specific, messianic prophecy concerning, as we'll see in a moment, the Lord Jesus. So the Jewish people are involved. The second person mentioned is the Prince, Messiah the Prince. And then the third person is the Prince who is to come. The Prince who is to come is involved. Let's read the first half of verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, after the 62 sevens, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now we will examine the prince who is to come in the next few weeks. We will see very clearly that this is a distinct prince. This is different from Messiah the Prince. This Prince, as we will see in verse 27, will commit the abomination of desolation. 
which both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John, as Christ himself, points to the coming Antichrist. So this is a distinct prince here, and I think you will see that. Okay, so there's the people who are involved, the Jewish people, the prince who is Messiah, and the prince who is to come. Let's now think about the place that is designated, the place that is designated. Look, if you will, now at verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city. Now, there are three truths that we know about this holy city. Number one, the holy city is Jerusalem. Now, there is only one holy city, and that is Jerusalem. And because I believe the Bible, I believe with all of my heart that the most holy city on the face of the earth is Jerusalem. Now, some think it's Rome, some think it's Nashville, or Washington, or, or Moscow, or Beijing, or New Delhi, or Tokyo, or Paris. But the most important city on the face of the earth in both the Old and the New Testaments is Jerusalem. It's the holy city because up there on the Temple Mount where the temple once stood, God himself in his Shekinah glory would come into that special section of the temple called the Holy of Holies. And so in describing Jerusalem, the psalmist said this in Psalm 48, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. He's describing Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the city of our God. Beautiful in elevation. It's up high. Remember, up and down in the Bible is not north and south. It's elevation. Up is going up in elevation. Down is going down in elevation. And of course, the Temple Mount that David originally bought is the threshing floor because you would thresh wheat up in a high spot where the wind was. Beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Jerusalem was the place where God himself would come. Jerusalem was the place where God the Son ministered in the temple and in its streets. Jerusalem is the city in which he was crucified. Jerusalem is the city in which he was raised from the dead. It is the city of the great king. So the holy city is Jerusalem. Secondly, the holy city is the prophetic center of the world. The holy city is the prophetic center of the world. And of course, the Old Testament prophets, as well as the book of Revelation, all teach that in the last days, Jerusalem will be the international hotspot. In a few weeks, when we study the prince who is to come, we will see that the Antichrist in Jerusalem will make a covenant with Israel, and he will defile the tribulation temple. The Jewish people today want to build another temple up there in Mount Moriah. I suspect that will not happen until the Antichrist, the man of peace, who will come with all kinds of false signs and wonders, he will allow them to pull it off. And there are certain prophecies that have to be fulfilled in the middle of the seven-year period that relate to this coming temple. So prophetically speaking, Jerusalem is the hot spot, and it is the very place that the Lord Jesus will come back again. In Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, it says, in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. 
And so Jerusalem is destined to become the capital city of the world because at the second coming of Jesus, he will come back to Jerusalem and he will rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem for 1,000 years. And in fact, at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, when God destroys this current heaven and earth, which we will study in Revelation 21, and he will make a new heaven and a new earth, the place that believers go to today when they die, old and new covenant believers, that Jesus calls the Father's house, that Revelation calls the New Jerusalem, that glorious city we call heaven will literally come down to the place today we call Jerusalem on a brand new heaven and earth, and that new city with the whole planet will be the place where we will spend eternity. So the holy city is Jerusalem. The holy city is the prophetic center of the world. But no, too, the holy city is the geographic center of the world. Not only is it the prophetic center of the world, if you look on a map, you will see it's the geographic center of the world from God's perspective. That's why Ezekiel can write in the fifth chapter, thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations, with land around her. Now in the 60s, when I was a child attending Nelson Place Grammar School, there on the blackboard was a map of the United States, a flat map, and all the flat maps in that day had the United States of America right in the center. Well, if God were to make a flat map of the globe, I can tell you he'd have Israel dead center and Jerusalem at the focus of his eye. Israel is not much bigger than Delaware or New Jersey, yet very rarely does a day go by when we don't hear something about it. Why? Because it is a very important place in prophecy. Okay, so there's the period spoken of. There's the people that are involved. There's the place that is designated. Now, we want to consider forth the purpose that is unfolded. The purpose that is unfolded. Now, here in verse 24, God unfolds six purposes, six purposes that he has for the people of Israel. And again, there are six infinitives in the Hebrew. They're easy to spot in the English Bible. First, God's purpose is to conclude the transgression. He wants to conclude the transgression. Look now, if you will, at verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. Notice it does not say a transgression, but the transgression. And what is the transgression of Israel? The Bible says in John 1, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. The people of Israel rejected their Messiah holistically. God has always had a remnant, on the day of Pentecost, over 3,000 Jews alone were saved. But nonetheless, overall, the people of Israel rejected her king. And God spoke of the fact that it will take 490 years to finish the transgression for their apostasy to be renounced. We studied this in Romans chapter 11, that while God has always had a remnant of believers, 
for the most part, their spiritual ears are stuffed, their spiritual eyes are blind, but a day is coming when they will see and hear spiritually, and they will believe on the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. So God's purpose is to conclude the transgression. Second, God's purpose is to cancel their sin, to cancel their sin. Again, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin. It will take 77, 70 weeks, 490 years to get past this national apostasy where God is going to make an end of their sin. You see, they are in sin right now because they are in unbelief, and that's why many of them, like most Gentiles, are unforgiven. What are they trying to do? Why did they reject their Messiah? Because self-righteousness had built up into the hearts of the people. They were trying to earn their salvation. And so when you step in the ninth chapter, Paul shows how God elected the nation of Israel out of all the nations of the world. In the 10th chapter, he explains why they rejected him. In the 11th chapter, how he will restore them. But the 10th chapter opens up, my heart burdened for them is for their salvation. He describes that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. And then he says in the third verse of that chapter, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. The sin of Israel reminds me of myself. Because for the first 18 years, I tried to establish my own righteousness, not knowing that my righteousness fell way short of God's needed righteousness to enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot be your own savior. And if you are trying to earn your way to heaven, then right now you are not in good favor with God. These people remind me of modern-day Mormons and Jehovah's Witness who work so hard going door to door to convince people of a message that will only lead them directly into hell. They remind me of the liberal Protestant who rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ and has substituted the social gospel for it, that God's plan through Christ is just to make earth a better place. Look, God teaches very clearly in the end, earth will not get become a better place ultimately is going to get worse and worse and worse. And if you think this past week was hard, we haven't seen anything yet. My friend, there is coming a time in human history where you can take the events of the last week and you can multiply them 10,000 times over across the planet. And so the social gospel is no substitute for the new birth. All the social gospel can do is make uh, earth a better place to go to hell towards. They remind me of the Muslims who will blow themselves up for Allah. They remind me of the Hindus that I saw on one of my trips to New Delhi. We're there worshiping at one of the pagan shrines was a poor mother, and it was obvious that her children were malnourished, but there she was offering a food sacrifice to her pagan goddess. 
You see, you can have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. And God cannot make an end of anyone's sin who's seeking to earn their forgiveness because it violates the justice of God because the wages of sin is death and nothing short of death can satisfy God. And you can pay that death for an eternity or you can take the one who paid the death for you on a cross. So we're going to learn that Israel in the 70th week is going to come and recognize that the one named Yeshua, Jesus, is indeed their holy Messiah. But right now, between the 69th and the 70th weeks that we will study next time, that Jesus himself taught, there's a gap of time. God is building his church. All right, so third, not only is God's purpose to cancel their sin, but God's purpose is to complete their salvation, to complete their salvation. Again in verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people to make an end of sin, to make an atonement for iniquity. Now, he's talking about the sins of the Hebrew people. God is talking about the Jewish people having their sins forgiven or atoned for. And he mentions them, not because they're more sinful than us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He simply mentions that after the fact that the transgression, their apostasy is finished, and their sin of unbelief is ended, God is going to take the atonement of the Messiah and credit it to their lives. Look, when you believe in Christ, the Bible says you are justified. Justification is not just as if you never sinned. That's only half of it. Not only does God wipe the slate clean, it's just as if you'd always obeyed. He credits to your account through the atonement of Christ, the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus. So there's going to be a finishing of the transgression. There will be an end of sin and atonement for iniquity because their unbelief will turn to genuine faith. Fourth, we also learn during these 77s that God's purpose is also to commence everlasting righteousness, to commence everlasting righteousness. When Israel turns to Messiah Yeshua, the Bible says God will make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity. And when this happens, he will bring in everlasting righteousness. He's referring to the millennial reign when the Lord Jesus will reign in everlasting righteousness. At the end of the 70th week, the visible return of Jesus will take place from heaven. He will set his feet on the Mount of Olives, split it in two, open up the eastern gate, walk right into the city of Jerusalem, and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. He will bring in everlasting righteousness. The prophet Ezekiel spoke of this in the 36th chapter. He says, moreover, speaking of the Jewish people, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances, and their sin I will remember no more. At this time, 
when Messiah's kingdom comes to earth, his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven amongst the Jewish people. One of these days, the Jewish people is going, are going to repent of the transgression of their apostasy. They're going to give up their unbelief, and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Messiah. Fifth, God will, God's purpose is to confirm the scriptures, to confirm the scriptures. Point E there. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city. Notice, fifth, to seal up vision and prophecy. So Daniel tells us here in verse 24 that all of this will seal up vision and prophecy, that God will fulfill every prophecy that he has made. God is saying this will wrap things up. All that I predicted, every promise I made will be fulfilled. This is what God is working for, and he will not quit until it is completely done. God is not behind time. God is not ahead of time. God is never late. God is right on time. God is not up in heaven sweating this week as he watches the foolish wickedness of this world unfold. He is on his throne. He knows what he is about. He wrote about it in advance. And just as he fulfilled all of the prophecies in the past, he is going to fulfill every single prophecy prophecy that is yet to happen. He'll wrap it all up. He'll cross the final T, dot the final I, and he will seal up the vision and the prophecy. F on your outline. God's purpose is to consecrate the sanctuary, to consecrate the sanctuary. This is all here in this one verse. Daniel 9, 24 says that God will bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Someday, God will put his blessing on a final temple. There's a temple that is yet to be built. We call it sometimes the tribulational temple. But then there's another temple yet to be built during the time of the millennial reign of the Messiah. And God will anoint that most holy place. During the reign of the Messiah on the earth, God will have a brand new temple that God's people will go and worship in. Now, if you've ever studied the tabernacle, if you've ever studied the temple, it will blow your mind. I need to do a series, if God will let me do it before I die, on the tabernacle and the temple. Because every bit of its construction, every fiber put into that little tent, every a piece of furniture, the way it was organized, the way they camped around it, all pointed to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will worship in the millennial temple and we will look back and we will see the wisdom of God unfolded throughout the ages, shouting that Jesus is Lord. Now, Gabriel is just giving him the overall plan. But knowing that Daniel is not satisfied with just summaries, and that's all I've given you so far, now he begins to sketch in the details. So we've talked about the period, we've talked about the people, we've talked about the place, we've talked about the purpose. Are you with me? 
Still tracking? All right, good. Some of you, I know you got to go home and listen to this several times. Now it's the hardest part. Now the plan that is specified. The plan that is specified. God tells him how he is going to do it, one step at a time, and I'm so grateful that he did. It seems that Gabriel anticipates the questions that Daniel would naturally ask. And so God tells us when the 490 years will start, and he gives us different intervals during the 490 years. And if you can get a hold of this prophecy, it's absolutely mind-blowing. It's not easy, but it is understandable. How do I know it's understandable? Because Jesus will quote Daniel chapter 9, and he will say, let the reader understand. Meaning, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. What does that tell me? It tells me it's understandable. And with the Spirit's help and his illumination, we can get a handle on this today. Now, there are four aspects of the plan that are specified. First, Gabriel tells him about the commencement of the count. The commencement of the count. Beginning in verse 25, God gives us the starting point of the 490 years. So, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Okay, let's walk through this carefully. We need first to understand the trigger. What is the starting point? When does the 77s, the 70 weeks of years start? When do these 490 years begin? And when do they conclude? He's going to tell us. The beginning of the count is from the issuing of a decree to rebuild, to restore and rebuild in Jerusalem. So we need to ask, when was the decree given to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem? Because if we can locate the decree and pinpoint its precise date, then we have the precise starting date of this 70 weeks prophecy. Now, you might want to circle the word decree and draw an arrow out into the margin and write here what you see on this chart, Nehemiah 2. Write Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8, out there in the margin. And uh, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Uh, it's right before the Psalms, a few books before that. Right before the Psalms, you have Job. Before that, you have Esther. And right before that, you have Nehemiah. Now, if you read your Old Testament, remember the decree had not yet been written. They're away in Babylon. They're going to go back uh, to Israel, to Jerusalem. And a number of decrees with their going back are written. The first three are found in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus, who has actually prophesied 150 years before he's born by name, which is again why the liberals hate Isaiah as well. Cyrus comes to the throne and he says, go back and build your temple for your God. That's the decree that's written of in Ezra chapter 1. Later on, Darius is on the throne, a guy named Darius, different Darius from the one in the book of Daniel. And in Ezekiel 6, he says, go back, because not all the Jews at first went back, and build your temple for your God. Then a guy named Artaxerxes comes to the throne. Artaxerxes is kind of like a title, like president, uh, as much as it is a name. And in 457 BC, he says, go back build your temple, refurbish it, make it really nice. 
But then there's only one decree that is given, and it's found in the book of Nehemiah, and it concerns not the rebuilding of the temple, but it concerns the rebuilding of the city. In Nehemiah 1, when Nehemiah gets a report as to the state of the city, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. To listen again to today's message in its entirety, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN13. And when you do contact us, inquire about becoming a Foundation Partner Foundation partners come alongside Search the Scriptures on a monthly basis and support both prayerfully and financially this vital ministry. Again, our phone number is 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we'll begin a look at the rebuilding of Jerusalem that was decreed by Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah. And we'll see how Daniel's 70 weeks of prophecy points to the exact day the Lord Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. Join us then as we search the scriptures.